All right. Hi, everybody. We're back for week three of Best of. <laughs> what <Us> is again? <laughs> Here we are. We're getting better and better at these intros. So, um, so this week, this was Jared's pick. Why don't you tell us why? Yeah. Um, so, Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy, uh, we have a cool conversation. She is trained in like the Gottman Institute, which for people who don't know, we get into it in the episode, but very like research based um uh awesome kind of theoretical view of uh healthy relationships and it's funny the past couple best ofs are people that one of us has had crushes on and like this one i feel like dr lauren is like one of my top guests ever for like people i want to be friends with don't you just want to like have coffee with her like every two weeks or something like that yeah she's super fucking cool and you know what she was so like she posted our episode like on her website like she was so gracious and she's got a shit ton of followers and just to be so humble and come on our show and like offer us some like her wisdom it was i'm just so grateful for her yeah she's awesome yeah all right guys so enjoy this episode and we'll see you next week and then, you know, the other tail, the other 2.5% on the other side is going to be amazing sex. That was great. That was, you know, phenomenal. It was, you know, noteworthy. And and so there's going to be this range and there is no 100% of the time mind-blowing sex. And in fact, even knowing that that sort of is more of a tail end, that that sort of spectacular, you know, knock your socks off kind of sex is maybe more of the exception than the norm. The norm is going to be we had a good time. Hi, guys. Welcome back. I'm here, too. <laughs> <laughs> Leanna, I've been really practicing our, our intros. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Liana, if you're new. I'm Jared. And we just finished recording with our guest today. Yes, yeah, super fun interview. Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy. Um, she is so intelligent, so on point, so poised. She's amazing. Yeah, she's a she's uh so also nice and smart and punctual. Yes. So, so Canadian. It's very Canadian. In all the best ways. Like, she's just <laughs> friendly and warm and relatable. Yes. So, uh, we love her. The interview was fantastic. We talk a lot about um, a specific type of therapy used for couples. And then we also go into um, sex therapy and some common sexual um, issues that can come up in relationships or individually. Yes. And then Leanna and I ask about all of our sexual dysfunctions. And she kindly gives us advice. (laughs) There was like, when we shifted to that part, there was a moment where we both threw long questions at her that were just all about us. And I I felt like her eyes got a little big and she was like, okay, here we go. No, and she was lovely. She she she, she nailed it. She killed yes, it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we're gonna we're gonna try and keep this intro short. Yes, let's go. Um, okay, but we want to talk about a couple of our sponsors, including a new sponsor. But Jared is Woo-hoo. going to take us off first with V Fresh. Okay, our first sponsor is V Fresh. That's V E E Fresh. V Fresh empowers women by making vaginal health easy with effective natural selections delivered right to your door. 
with products such as V-Cleanse, a boric acid suppository to get rid of any BV, that's bacterial vaginosis, Yes. and yeast, and maintain healthy pH. V-Tract, oh, V-Tract, an oral supplement to get rid of UTIs and maintain healthy urinary function, and V-Gentle, a wash that helps balance vaginal pH. Go to www.veefresh.com and use our new code HELLO2021 to get 10% off. And if you need it, visit helloandgoodbye.com for links to all of our sponsors as well as our YouTube channel. Helloandgoodbyepodcast.com. Oh, I blew it. Yeah. I did such a good read right (laughs) until then. Helloandgoodbyepodcast.com. Yeah. No, that was great. Hey, thanks. Good job. Um, Yeah, so I swear by VFresh. I use the boric acid suppositories twice a week. It helps... Um, prevent me from getting infections and just so many women love this product so by the way i did try using the discount code you do not have to capitalize it well good to know you can just be hello 2021 Mm -hmm. okay so um go get your v fresh now and then our new sponsor is ioba toys so i-o-b-a ioba toys um so ioba toys sells sex toys but they are so much more than that their, girl, their goal is to empower those with a vagina by helping to destigmatize both masturbation and the topic of sex in general. Because female empowerment is feeling confident as fuck in your body. Their Oh My G is the world's quietest G-spot vibrator with a true come-hither finger motion that brings you those toe-curling orgasms. It has reviews such as Who Needs a Man, Spread the Oh My Gospel, and... This was a new type of orgasm. So to get your Oh My G vibrator, you're going to go to www.iobatoys.com, I-O-B-A, and use code Hello and Goodbye to receive 30% off your order. Ooh, 30% off. 30% off. Um, so again, www.iobatoys.com, use Hello and Goodbye to receive 30% off. And like Jared said, all of the links to our sponsors are on our website, www.helloandgoodbyepodcast.com, with all of this information as well. Mm-hmm. And I actually just updated it. Yeah. And um, it's cute. Like, underneath, like, each sponsor has, like, a picture of us on top of it. And, like, there's, like, a little caption. And the, under the one in the middle, it says, hello and goodbye, servicing all your holes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so that takes care of our sponsors, but I did want to do a quick um, reminder for rating and reviewing. Okay. So here's the thing with reviewing on Apple Podcasts. If the reviews become, like, if they start to drop off, the show is going to become stagnant because Apple stops sharing it. Mm, So if you guys can be super consistent about going over there and writing a review for us, Mm -hmm. we would so appreciate that. You just go to Apple Podcasts, uh, click... And search hello and goodbye. Scroll down, hit write a review. We have a new review contest now. I think it ends on February. I don't remember what I said on Instagram. I think like February 20th. I think it ends on February 20th. Anyway, so you have till February 20th. Go write a funny, creative, sincere review, and the winner gets a hello and goodbye mug, the last hello and goodbye mug available. Wow. 
Yeah, because I'm Collectors not ordering my, I'm not ordering more until you guys start paying for them. <laughs> so yeah, funny. so if you want the last hello and goodbye mug, go over there, write us a review, share with your friends. Guys, everything that you can do to help us out keeps the show going. Um, and we really appreciate you. Yes, we deeply appreciate all the support. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into our updates. Let's do it. You want to go first? Okay. So I left a cliffhanger last week, You right? did leave a cliffhanger. Um, so I talked to my partner, and um, we had a couple conversations throughout the week. It was really good. I think it was a good sort of point for us because, like, some of both of our stuff came up. Mm. And it's like, you know, like, the only way out is through. Like, you have to go through that stuff if you're going to continue to get to know each other and deep in a relationship or whatever. Um, so it's interesting because in the interview that everyone's about to hear, we talked, you know, um, uh, Dr. Lauren talked about like, um, like, oh, what was she saying? Like kind of like doing that approaching versus the distancing and, and whatever. And so like the soft approach, like if you have a complaint, yeah, making it soft instead yeah. of a criticism. But it was also the thing which we were talking about, like the pursuer and like that oh, whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's always going to be like, well, yeah, you guys yeah. will hear it. Anyway, so I, so I approach, I was, some of my stuff got triggered and I approached my partner and I said, hey, I felt like some of my stuff got triggered and I wanted to just share that with you right away because I need to do that. Mm -hmm. So if I don't, right, then it just, then I'm just going to start pulling away, mm -hmm. right? And that, that probably wasn't the softest, the best softest mm. approach, especially like knowing some of what my partner's past has been like and stuff. Um, and so... She got a little like scared by that, and but what was really cool is actually we like talked a couple times through the week, and like, um, at some points I think we both got like a little flustered or overwhelmed, but we sort of like worked through some stuff, um, and it was really it like I feel like I understand her a lot more mm. now, and I think she understands me a lot more mm. now because like. It's so easy to fucking misread people, mm -hmm. man. Um, so we, yeah, I don't know. I, am I being too vague? No, what? no. It Ask me questions. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it makes me think of in the episode um, with Dr. Morgan on setting boundaries um, and navigating conflict. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it's like episode 35. Um, but she talked about how when you stop being curious about how your partner feels, like that's when yeah. you're in trouble. Yep. And, you know, just experiencing that in my most recent relationship where I feel like I really tried to mm -hmm. understand and set aside my ego and... I was not perfect at it, but I really tried and I was really proud of myself that I was able to kind of change the way that I showed up. Um, yep. And it's just, it's hard to practice that. Yeah. It's really hard to practice that when you feel hurt and you don't want to understand why your partner feels hurt because you feel hurt. Yeah. You know? And um, so I guess that's kind of how I'm interpreting yeah, what happened. Yeah. And, and yeah. And it's like, it's really interesting because you both have to sort of take turns. Like, okay. Let me just be with what you're saying and how you're feeling hurt. And then like, 
Then at some point, though, it has to be my turn where you can hear how I'm feeling hurt. Yes. Well, and that's what I always said to my last partner was, hey, listen, like right now, like I came to you with this right now. I really need you to try and hear me. Mm -hmm. And then I am more than happy to I want to hear you then. But right now, like I feel like I need to be heard right now. Mm -hmm. And can you do that first? And then we can... And then you can give me your complaints. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and again, like, maybe that isn't the best way to say it. I, I yeah. don't know. But, I mean, I, I I think the biggest thing is, like, we we all just suck at it. We all suck at it, but we're yeah. doing the best we can. Yes. We're doing the best we can. And that's what we always say on the show. Like, we're not experts. We're doing the best we can. Sometimes we have no idea what we're doing. Yep. Um, You and I are... have. I wouldn't say that our relationships have been unsuccessful. I think we've had successful relationships, mm-hmm. but we just haven't found a lifetime yes. partner yet. Yep. And so every relationship, you and I are at the point where we're using it to try and grow as people. Yes. And I think, and what was cool about like, you know, the interview that's coming up, we talked about both like just those relational dynamics and we talked about the sort of sex and intimacy dynamics. And I think, what was nice is my partner and I, like, after having all this deep conversation this week, then when we saw each other this weekend, it was like, it took some time, you know, mm. where I, I I think me more than her actually was like still a little walled off, mm-hmm. you know, and I think um, by sort of talking and then, uh, you know, we were able to kind of like reconnect in that way and like, because it, it takes me time to get back into my body in that mm-hmm. way and be comfortable in that way. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was nice. Yeah, well, good. Well, yeah. I'm proud of you. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of me, too, and of, and of us. It's really interesting because both me and my partner are people that have past trauma and sort of learning about, like, how the other person interprets certain things you do and say, what things trigger them, and then... For me, it was like a big eye opener that like when she's in this triggered place, the the lens that she filters everything through is like so strong, mm. you know, and I'm like, wait, I said all these like nice things to reassure you. And yet somehow like your brain interpreted that as me like threatening to leave, you know, mm. it's like it's really interesting. Mm. Um, and, and that's good information for me to mm-hmm. like try to like know what's happening with her in the moment and then be a little bit more like like thoughtful about how I'm wording things Mm. and and reassuring and stuff like that I have a little bit of that I have a hard time like that has happened with a few guys in the past where they're they say something really nice and then follow it with but Mm. um and something that makes me feel threatened that they're leaving me Oh, interesting. And so I get that. Yeah. I get that. For remember with Denver guy, it's been a long time since we talked about Denver. <laughs> that was a big. That was a big. Denver guy episode was episode eight. Yeah, 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 and he came up again at episode fifteen. But um, he. That's what happened with him. We had this amazing date night, whatever, and then the next day he was saying, you know, you're this amazing human being. But remember what I said about you flying out to come see me? Yeah, I just don't. And then I was like. So I get that. Yeah, I get that. But anyway, but we know like we have our own stuff and it's like really important to stay curious about your partner. Yeah, I love that. That's like the perfect encapsulation way to bring back Dr. Morgan. That's awesome. You're welcome. What's happening in your life? 
Well, um, I guess I have not talked about this yet. I have teased that I have a new job, but let's go ahead and talk oh, about yeah. what my new job is. Speaking of. So speaking of Dr. Morgan, um, she asked me to come on her team to be essentially um, a part of one of the women on her team that jumps on the calls with those who are interested in the program mm -hmm. and helps them decide if it's the right program for them. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I think you'd be awesome at that because you're someone who got a lot out of the program and you're just incredibly like personable and yeah, I think it's going to be yeah. an awesome fit. It's yeah. a, it's really there's only like 5 of us on the team. Her her program is growing so rapidly. She's so amazing. Um it's nothing but like positive female support. Um I've had a lot of training calls and I'm like ready to start setting up meetings and setting up calls. And it's something like I'm nervous by because I've never done anything like that. I mean, I've always sold myself, right? Like I've, I sell my yoga, I sell my piano. Actually, I've never marketed for piano ever. Um, but you know, I sell myself when we're dating, we all sell yep. ourselves, yep. you know? So, um, but this is a little different. This is like, you know, you ha I did like probably 10 hours of training online yeah. and watching videos. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I just feel really grateful that I was given this opportunity that she believed in me enough and it's something I can do from home. It's a great financial opportunity depending on how much effort I put into it. Um, and I, I can't, I can't express how amazing the program is Yeah, like, and it, because I believe in it. Mm -hmm. Because I did it and it was life changing. Yes. So all that to say, if you guys are interested, hit me up. Um, she is offering our listeners ten percent off of the program. Mm -hmm. So do you want to give people just a quick rundown of like what is the program, who it might be good for? Yeah. So the program is for women mm -hmm. um, who basically anybody who wants to learn more about their attachment style how that looks within their relationships, how to rewire your personal beliefs, your relationship beliefs, um, kind of looking at past situations that uh, are part of what you do believe about yourself in relationships. Mm -hmm. And then just the work of working through that and um, becoming more cognizant of um, what you want to be moving forward, what you're capable of, what you're worthy of. Um, the program is called ESL empowered, secure, and loved. And so the goal is to get to a place where you believe that you can be empowered, secure, and loved. Oh, that's perfect. And, um, you know, it's really the, it's a group of, it's four modules in a row and each module is something different. Um, and the, by the fourth module, you know, you've done kind of the work and then you get to learn like how to approach dating or how to approach relationships and have things like pacing and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's really, and, and then not only that you get, um, you get a one-on-one -on -one call coaching call with Dr. Morgan and then more coaching calls as needed. There's a weekly group call that's like so amazing having other women there to support you as well. You mm -hmm. don't have to be single to do the program. Like I cannot, I cannot promote it enough. Yeah. Well, and I know for you, right? Like you were in a place in your life where you were seeing a lot of the same patterns repeat in your dating life and relationships not working out and just 
all of these things being really painful mm-hmm. and sort of you're not getting what you wanted out mm-hmm. of this side of your life and that just doing this program like transformed all of that. Yeah, and like. and even more than that, not even really believing that I deserved it. Mm. You know? Wow. And um, I think, you know, even though my, my ex and I had our stuff, I think that I, that was a really great relationship for me to do post-program because it helped me put into practice all of the things that I learned. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. Okay. So if you guys want to know more about that, send me an email, info at hellongobypodcast.com, or you can DM me on Instagram too, at hellongobypodcast. Awesome. Um, in terms of my personal week, um, I'm still recovering from the breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my good and bad days. This new job has been a great distraction. Oh, yeah. Just kind of pouring myself into that. I'm dealing with some uh, physical issues. I know you guys, I told you I have a herniation in my neck. I am getting surgery on February 19th. So it's nice to have that date in place, something mm-hmm. to look forward to. Um, and then I'm pretty sure I have a stomach ulcer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's really hard to eat. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the one positive about breakups is you usually lose weight. Sure. And I mean, not saying that you have to lose weight, that that's always a positive thing. But yeah. I had put on some COVID weight and I was having a hard time getting rid of it. And, and holiday and, and, and holiday. when you're in a relationship you tend to nest a yeah and i yeah. i prefer to be at a, a different size because i just like the way my clothes fit a little better so anyway i'm pretty much there <laughs> hey you know i mean sometimes when you're going through something like a breakup you got to find the silver linings yeah. right well i have one quick question for you yeah before we go into our interview um i was thinking about this bush or no bush oh good question um, I don't, I don't have a strong preference. I've had, uh, you know, partners who have, you know, who are completely shaved versus, you know, I mean, my only preference is I think for everybody, male, female, non-binary, like any person, like keep yourself like groomed and yeah. sort of clean and, you know, don't be like unkempt. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's hard because sometimes... I don't know, like, sometimes if it's, sometimes there can be, like, a stubble thing that doesn't, you know, that, like, I don't know. Like, and I also think whatever's comfortable for the person. It makes what do you mean the good. stubble thing? Well, where, like, sometimes, like, there can, it can be, like, a little, like, rough if Oh, I see, if it's, like, growing back. and then grows yeah. back and, like, whatever. Okay, yeah. Well, you know yeah. men's beards are like that, too. I know. Like, I, ch- my chin chafes. Or, no, my nose... Hold on. Like so, upper lip. Yeah, upper lip. Like, yeah. yeah. Like so, when I'm yeah. first starting to see someone. Yeah, women who are really fair, sometimes they like get like all red. I know. So actually I prefer full beards. Oh. Because then I don't it's get softer. that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um I have I'm not doing anything about that situation for a long time. Good for you. I'm like, I have no one to impress. Yep. I it is a pain in the butt. I get ingrown hairs. Mm. I use an electric shaver, so then I have to do it like every few days. Mm-hmm. And waxing is like, it's not super expensive, but it hurts. Yep. And like, there's no reason to do it right now. Yeah. So I was just thinking about that today. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what your preference is. Well, I, I personally like hair on guys. I don't like, like, I like, it, it's sexy to me that the, it's like, it's like a man has like hair. But, but I mean, like you said, not like 
a ton. Yeah. 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 You don't want like a like a thicket down there. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I don't know. You know, and it would be interesting. Like, I don't know that I've. I, I think if I had a partner who's like, my pubic hair is left alone. Like I'm all natural. It's how it grows. Like blah blah blah. I don't think I would have a problem with it. I think I'd be like, okay. Yeah, I think I would. <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess it would be. It I would guess be what like, it looks like. Yeah, and like if you're gonna go down there, like how much is it? Well, right, right, exactly. In your face and in your mouth. Because if, if if you let it fully go, it could get. It can be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're so excited for this interview. We cut the intro short. Yes. And uh, we'll see you guys at the end. Enjoy. Bye. Our next guest is a clinical psychologist and certified sex therapist practicing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She specializes in sexual health issues such as low sexual desire, libido mismatches in relationships, arousal difficulties, orgasm difficulties, and sexual pain. She is also trained in Gottman Method Couples Therapy to help people improve their relationships. We are so happy to have you on, Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, we chatted a little bit before this, and um, I, I am like, I think I'm the most excited for this conversation for myself. <laughs> She's like, I have lots of questions about my personal issues. So, um, you know, usually we go into the, you know, how did you get into this? Um, but I thought maybe we could just, like, what is your favorite part about your job right now? I think the most rewarding part, and, and it's been that way from the beginning for me, is just watching people make progress. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's not always the case. Some people, um, you know, if it's not the right fit for them or they need a different approach, certainly that happens. Um, but watching people make progress and, you know, seeing those aha moments in real time is just so rewarding and so fulfilling and getting to bear witness to that is just so, so much a privilege for me that I really just, I find it really, you know, it reinforces all the work that that I put into uh, the work that I do. I love that. I, I I think both Jared and I have a lot of struggle and trauma in this area. Mm -hmm. um, sex has always been an issue in all of my relationships because of trauma. Um, so I, I want to get into just kind of some basic questions so our, our listeners can learn and then, um, and then we'll maybe we can share some of our own struggles too. Yeah. Then we'll hijack the interview <laughs> just so that we can get some answers to what we need to work on. So, can you explain to us um, the Gottman theory that you use to work with your clients? Mm -hmm. I, I really want you to explain the Four Horsemen, and I'm going to wash Leanna's face as you do it because. Okay. Like, I, 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 I'm a little uh, familiar and she's not, so I can't wait. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the Gottman method is an approach to couples therapy or relationship therapy um, that was founded by doctors, John and Julie Gottman. So that's where the Gottman name comes from. Um, and it's one of the evidence-based approaches to uh, partner and couples therapy. 
And it's based on uh, a lot of John Gottman's research over 40 plus years, both research with couples uh, from sessions and also in uh, a laboratory setting, hooking people up to equipment, measuring their physiology. It's a really complex um, uh, research uh, process that he's undergone over several years, over decades. And so what he's found through his research is just fascinating. And he's famous for this concept that you mentioned, Jared, called the four horsemen, which is these four relational patterns that can emerge in relationships that if not sort of, uh, you know, reined in can wreak havoc. And he named them the four horsemen after a biblical reference. The four horsemen in the Bible is supposed to mean like the sign of the end of times. Mm. And so the four horsemen in relationships is the sign of, you know, we're not going in maybe the best direction and we need to kind of recalibrate. Mm. So the four horsemen um, are these patterns, one being um, defensiveness. The second one is uh, contempt. These are in no particular order. They're, they're ordered so many different ways when you see them online or you read about them. Um, the third one is criticism. And the fourth is stonewalling. And so these are things that I, I like to clarify that like, if you do this once in a while, that does not necessarily mean that your relationship is doomed. However, it might be something that you need to uh, work on or improve because if you continue to use that over time, it erodes trust and fondness in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can go into those a little bit more in depth to kind of say more about them. So now I have to remember which order I said them in. The first one is defensiveness. Yeah. Yes. Um, So defensiveness is basically, it it emerges often when you feel like you're being attacked or criticized. And so it's this sort of defensive move to, um, you know, defend your position, defend your character. And it often can come up as like, yeah, but, and you start talking about what your intent was, what your position is, what your perspective is. The trouble with defensiveness is it often is a response to uh, a partner bringing something up to you, uh, whether that's a complaint, whether it's a criticism, whether it's, hey, my feelings are hurt about something. So when we use defensiveness, what it's basically doing is diverting the conversation away from the original speaker and then making it more about you and your feelings and your intent and your thoughts. And and so that can really um, derail connection and attunement because then the person who brought up whatever they were bringing up no longer feels heard or listened to. Mm. So would this, oh, sorry. No, I was just like, would this look like, you know, someone's like, hey, you know, when you said this the other day or when I didn't hear from you, you know, like that hurt my feelings and it made me anxious. And then defensiveness would be the other person's like, well, you know, two days ago you said this <laughs> and like, you know, I'm always doing this, this and that. So it's kind of like that deflecting and. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or minimizing like, yeah, but you know, you know, I've been really busy lately and it's, you know, I can't help it. And I need you mm-hmm. to be more understanding of that and da, da, da. And there may be some truth to that. And there may be something that you need to share back, but that may not be the time to bring that up because I think of it as like a volleyball, like they're volley volleying to you 
to acknowledge something, to empathize with something, to hear them. And when you start going into your stuff, it takes away from that. So mm-hmm. the, the what you want to do first, and there's an antidote to each of these things. So the antidote to defensiveness is to take some responsibility, which can be really hard for people, especially if they feel like what their partner is bringing to them doesn't feel fair, or they have a totally different perspective. They may struggle to, you know, take some responsibility. But if there's even a modicum of truth or something you can understand about what the speaker was sharing with you, you know, you're right, I wasn't as available the other day, or you're right, you know, I didn't show up on time, or you're right, I, you know, I haven't been paying as much attention to you. Start there before you start going into here's what's going on, and here's why and all of that, because that will help the speaker who's bringing up the complaint or the concern to feel like you heard them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Well, and I'm curious, I know this is out of order a little bit, but What's the difference between that and stonewalling? Because those seem kind of closely related to me. I do often think of like defensiveness as stonewalling are sort of a pair and criticism and contempt are a pair. They're mm. not always, but there are some flavors to those two that sort of stand out and, and sort of divide them. Um, so stonewalling is when uh, often when you're physiologically feeling flooded, which is the Gottman's term for feeling very overwhelmed and starting to enter sort of that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, it's often a freeze response where you just sort of shut down mm. or you can become uh, unresponsive, where you turn away, when you stop giving eye contact, when you stop responding. It can also be a flee response where you get up and leave. Mm. Or you walk mm. out when you walk away. Usually that's happening because your nervous system threat detector is going off saying, this feels threatening to me. I need to get away from it, either physically or emotionally shut it down. So now, like, sorry, like, um, like one word answers kind of thing, or someone's like, well, hey, can you tell me how you feel about what I just said? And it's like, I don't know, you know, whatever, or like that kind Um, of thing. It's totally flat. Yeah. yeah. It could be, you know, crossing your arms and looking away, looking down, hunching over, just really no longer engaging. It's disconnecting and disengaging. Mm. And often that's, that's serving a purpose. It's, it's trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and we often unfortunately can perceive a threat in our relationships emotionally, sort of the same way we would perceive threats historically, you know, back in cave dwelling days with bears showing up and predators and this, like it all sort of filters the same way through our nervous system. So threat is just seen as threat. Now, hopefully this, you know, a lot of this uh, content that we're talking about doesn't apply to situations of physical violence or um, abuse cycles, things like that. That's a totally different sort of area. But for those who feel like there is general safety in their relationship, there can be times where those threat detectors go off that say, "Mm, I need to get out of here or I need to go protect myself from Mm -hmm. whatever is happening. So that's totally fair and valid that sometimes your system is going to flood. It's just overwhelming. You know, you're, you're just can't think straight. And so the antidote to stonewalling is to practice some self-soothing. And what that often looks like is taking a break. 
So mm-hmm. when you're, when your physiology is running wild and you just, you can't think clearly and sort of that, that cognitive part of you is offline. It often helps to say, you know what, I need to take a little break here. And the recommendation is that a break lasts between 20 and 30 minutes, because though it may not always seem this way, it takes a little bit of time to recover when your alarm system goes off. We need to kind of regroup and and rest and kind of gain our composure back. Yeah, like for your pulse to slow down even and your blood pressure, you know, and your breathing kind of becomes more regulated and back to normal and stuff. Exactly. What we know from some of the research from the Gottman Institute is that flooding signs are often a heart rate at about 100 beats per minute. If you're extremely athletic, your heart rate would be around 85 beats a minute. That starts to tell you that you're starting to elevate because I think a resting heart rate is usually around the 65, 70, 75 mark. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Right. And so just so um, tell me if I'm wrong on this, Lauren, but I think so some of the the Gottman like love lab stuff is they have couples sort of face a camera and have a conversation about something that's like an issue for them. And they can sort of and by coding for like how many of the four horsemen they see in like a three minute clip or something like that, they can predict with like 93% accuracy, like who's going to stay together and who's not. Oh, wow. Right. That John Gottman has, he's famously known for, and I think his average is, um, cause there's sort of two pieces. I think he promotes that, you know, with about 90 plus percent accuracy, he can predict which couple will stay together and which will eventually divorce from like a 15 minute clip in total. But within the first three minutes, what you're referring to Jared is that that first three minutes predicts with 96% accuracy, what the rest of the conversation is going to look like. Mm. So if you start off with, you know, guns ablaze and you're fired up and you're critical and you're contemptuous. Like that's where the conversation will go mm. from there. It's not likely mm. to just suddenly become respectful and calm and composed. Well, and, and, I, and I share that just because I think it's super cool, but also because when I picture like that and what you just said about the heart rate is amazing to me, like how powerful our emotions are tied to our physiology, like just sitting in a chair talking to someone, right? So you're not like jumping up and down and waving your arms and yelling, but just by talking about a topic that agitates you or, you know, and, and that getting flooded, getting overwhelmed with emotions, like can just jack your heart rate like that. Well, and I like very recently got out of a relationship. I think my heart rate is up right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even just as you're talking, like thinking about conversations and fights and like, I mean, I've been in kind of flight mode ever since the breakup. I'm having a hard time really like calming down, but um, I think I need to get a heart rate monitor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. And, and COVID has really changed the, the whole way that I do therapy because it's online now. Um, and I know that there are ways to get around this. I haven't implemented it yet. But when I would have couples in my office with me physically back, you know, a year ago plus, um, we would hook them up. And this is part of the Gottman method that will, you'll often get hooked up to a pulse oximeter. So those little 
those little doodads that just go on your doctor's office. They're cheap to buy. You can buy them. Well, relative, they're like $20 each. So about $40 a pair. Um, And you can buy them, you know, online. And what they do is they measure two things. They measure your beats per minute with your heart rate. And then they also measure your um, blood oxygen. So that I think it's SPO2. Mm-hmm. And so what that's telling us is two things, what your heart rate is doing and also how much oxygen you're getting into your blood and your body. Mm. So when people are like holding their breath, they're not mm. breathing, they're more agitated. Sometimes that oxygen level will go down. And so we will set it so that the system will sort of, or the device will beep when it gets to hundred beats a minute. It'll beep when your blood oxygen goes below 95% so that we can slow down the pace and mm. help to kind of regulate the discussion. Because if you're trying to push through when your physiology is shutting down, it's like just hitting a wall. I have a question, but I'm going <laughs> to save it. I'm going to save it until after you go through the other two. Okay. 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 Write it down. Don't forget. Yeah, write it down. Remember uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the third horseman that I mentioned was contempt. Um, but before I go into that, I think it's probably better to explain criticism first and then move into contempt. So I'm going to mm-hmm. reverse their order a little bit here. And so criticism is basically when you may come across as blaming. It may feel like an attack to the other person. It feels like you are maybe focusing on the other person's character. And so mm-hmm. what that can sound like, some clues that you may be critical or you may be hearing criticism is statements like you always, you never, um, and things that sort of go after more of you as a person rather than maybe some behavior. So an example would be of uh, criticism. You know, you always leave your shoes at the front door. Anybody could trip over them at any minute. Like, what's the matter with you? Why can't you just Mm. Yeah. It's very critical. And those, you know, criticism often goes uh, hand in hand with defensiveness. So, you know, criticism leads to defensiveness, leads to more criticism, leads to more defensiveness. It's sort of a back and forth attack, counterattack kind of vibe. Mm. So like in the in the shoes example, right? Like the criticism is like, you're such a slob, like, why can't you be an adult and like keep and blah, blah, blah. And then the defensive person right. is like, it's not my fault that like you're type A and OCD yeah. and I have to arrange my whole life around your bullshit and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so what we want to do is we want to be able to bring up when something is bothering us, but we also really want to be thoughtful about that. So there's a difference between criticism and a complaint. And this is where, um, you know, people are, are often uh, humbled to know that there's an option because there are going to be complaints in relationships. You're not going to get away with not having complaints. Leanna's um, like, thank God. <laughs> I, have, I have many complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of complaints. Lots of people have complaints. There's often going to be things that are bothering you or that are not the way that you would like them to be or that leave you feeling a certain way. And we need to be able to voice that. So the difference with a complaint is that you're focusing more on yourself and what you need and how you're feeling about it and you're asking for something. And here's where it's helpful to often state something called a positive need, which is to say what you do need or want rather than what you don't need or want. Mm. So in the Mm. shoe example, 
Um, you know, instead of saying like, don't leave your shoes at the front door, why can't you put them away? Like, what's the matter with you? A complaint would be, you know, I feel worried when shoes are left at the front door that somebody's going to trip over them. And that worry starts to, you know, grow. So I'm wondering if you could please put the shoes away, or can you please put the shoes away, or I need you to put the shoes away. Mm. Um, so you're saying what you want to happen or what you need to happen rather than what you don't want. And so that's how you're going to make uh, a complaint. And the complaint kind of speaks to what we um, saw earlier when we talked about like the first three minutes of a dialogue. What we want to do is try to soften our startup. That's what a complaint is really a softer way of bringing up instead of criticism, sort of bringing up what the issue is. Mm. The issue may not be about the shoes itself. The issue is how those shoes are impacting you. Like mm-hmm. I feel worried that someone's going to trip. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. Not necessarily yeah. that the shoes are there. The shoes are just the trigger for the worry that you have. So if you're softening your startup, which is the antidote to criticism, that's going to help the rest of the conversation go more smoothly. Now, one thing that can be frustrating for people is that even if they deliver a beautiful softened startup and it's very much more of a, you know, uh, a complaint, not a criticism, you still might receive defensiveness from your partner. And that <laughs> is really hard. Leanna's <laughs> nodding vigorously nodding. For, the, for the listeners. That was actually going to be my question. Yeah. You know, the thing about that is you've done your part. If you are the one, like, this is what you have control over. I can deliver a complaint. I can do that gently. I can say what I need. And then it's sort of my side of the street is done. If the other person's getting defensive, that's a really tough spot to be in. And, And it depends on the dynamic. You could do a number of things. You could say, you know what, let's take a break and let's come back to this in a little bit. Or hey, I'm wondering if you're feeling defensive. I'm trying really hard to deliver this thoughtfully. And I'm wondering if you may need to hear me say it differently. Is there something I can do to help it feel less, you know, antagonizing for you? Because remember, you want to try to be on the same team. It's not you versus the partner. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be able to express myself thoughtfully and kindly, but also honestly. And I also need for you to be able to receive that. So I might get curious and say, do you, you know, is there a different way I can put this so that you could better receive it so you don't feel attacked? And even just sometimes saying, hey, you know, I'm not trying to attack you here. I'm not trying to blame you. I'm trying to let you know where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that would be some examples around criticism. A really common thing, we see this a lot, um, as we do with, you know, defensiveness and stonewalling. The fourth one, which I presented earlier is the third, but I moved it around. So contempt is uh, the one that we say is sort of the worst of them all. Contempt is sort of like criticism on steroids, like it's it's much more potent and it's it's much more damaging to the relationship. Contempt is coming to things sort of from a place of superiority, like where you're looking down on your partner. It's it's coming from a place of disrespect. And um, this can come out as name calling, uh, you know, being unkind, mockery, sometimes sarcasm, not all sarcasm, but some sarcasm can be mm-hmm. contemptuous where you're sort of hiding your disdain through sarcasm. And so what you're what you're communicating is really unkind. You know, 
So going back does, to- Oh, I'm sorry. Does threatening go in there? You know, I think it depends if it's, I mean, I think it depends on the situation. I think threatening could be contempt. It could also be sort of more of an abusive thing that Mm. is sort of outside of this. Um, But I think has elements of contempt. Yeah. Well, I, I also wonder, like, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, you know, like, like the poisonousness of contempt. Right. And like, is it, is it, like sometimes there's like a dismissiveness where it's just like, oh yeah, like of course you would say that, you know, kind of thing where yeah. it's like, I'm not even going to engage honestly and say, hey, it bothers me when you say that. Yeah. But I'm, it, you know, it's sort of this like, like I'm not even going to bother anymore kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, it could be sort of act like you're disgusted with your partner, or like you're just totally over them. Um, and it's it's really insidious. It's it's so toxic to a relationship. Um, you know, anytime there's name calling, that that's time to sort of pause. Like when mm-hmm. we're at the point where you're calling each other names, mm. that definitely requires attention. Because mm-hmm. you know, a healthy, loving relationship, you don't call your partner names. Mm-hmm. It, that's sort of like a red line that you just don't cross. Yeah. Yeah. I always um, I like. Am firmly believe, and you can tell me if I'm right about this, but I don't think you should ever cuss at your partner either. Right. Um, you know, right. and I'm not, not guilty of that, but <laughs> <laughs> I try, I try my hardest not to cuss um, yeah. at my partner. And it's really hurts when someone looks at you and says, fuck you, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. I feel like that is like contempt at that its is, finest. How do you come back from that? You know? And it depends, I think, on the overall state of the relationship. So, you know, if you're in uh, what the Gottman's called the negative sentiment override or negative perspective, it's sort of like, you know, putting on, I describe it as like putting on like these really gray shaded glasses and everything in the relationship gets filtered through these really sort of foggy gray lenses. So I think from the research, when they were in the love lab, they would find that even just sort of a neutral statement, like, oh, the sky's blue today, or the clouds are out or like something really innocuous. And depending on the state of the relationship would determine sort of what direction that would be interpreted. So if you're in more of a negative state, you might say, well, duh, like I could see the sun's out or like, you know, Mm -hmm. something kind of snarky Mm -hmm. versus if you're more in a positive state, more of a positive perspective, you may be like, oh, it looks like a nice day out. You're responsive, you're engaging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, contempt that's expressed in a more positive perspective dyad is going to be received really differently than if you're already in the negative perspective. You think of this as um, a relationship bank account, which is another Gottman principle. And, you know, the more you're doing withdrawals, if you're not adding deposits back in, you just get more and more overdrafted. And, you know, when you're in debt and it's large, you know, making a deposit of 10 cents here and 20 cents there and a dollar here and it doesn't seem to add up compared mm. to the amount of debt that you're in. Mm-hmm. So that's why we re- really want to be cautious and, and conscientious about making deposits. And actually they have a ratio for that. I want to flip back because I know I didn't talk about the antidote. To I know it. I was going to ask. Um, and then I'll come back to the ratio. So the antidote to contempt is... Overall, globally, you want to try to build a culture of appreciation in the relationship, meaning that you want to express fondness 
gratitude, appreciation, kindness, often. When we do that, we're helping to stay more in the green and not in that sort of black zone. Mm -hmm. So overall, day to day, we want to try to build that in. In the moment, if you feel like contempt is starting to emerge, what you want to do is roll that back by focusing on your own feelings and needs. Mm. Instead of talking about how the other person is screwing something up or not doing something well enough or doing something about it, talk about how you are feeling. I'm feeling so disappointed. I'm feeling so hurt because of, you know, this, what's going on. This is what I need. And you focus on you and what Mm. your needs are, not the partner. Because if you start talking about your partner when you're feeling contemptuous, it's just going to go in that direction. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's helpful. Well, I was thinking, you know, when you talked about cursing at your partners, like like, to me, you know, and like, I, I know you, right? And I know, so like, to me though, I think that's like when you're in a state where you're flooded. Mm-hmm. you know, like where you're just totally overwhelmed. Like, and I, and like, I even relate to this. Like I had a series of conversations with the person I'm seeing this week. And at one point, like I felt like I was feeling like attacked and like sensitive. And so I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't curse at her, but I was like more agitated in the conversation than I want to be. You know, I was kind of like, well, what the fuck? Like, what is mm-hmm. this? Like, mm-hmm. and and like looking, you know, hearing you talk about Lauren being flooded, I'm like, oh yeah, that's where I was. Like, cause mm-hmm. at one point I was like, like she, she hung up and then like, didn't call me back, you know? And like, mm. I was like all so like wound up in that Activated. time. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. And I, I also think too, like one thing when I think about contempt, I think like something that a lot of men can do is this like dismissive form of contempt of like, um, like, like, well, like, you know, you're irrational. Like, there's no point in me even talking to you. Like, you know, (laughs) kind of this, like, oh, like, let me know when you're done, you know? And like, we can talk like adults or whatever, you know, it's this, yeah. I had, I had someone say to me, um, (laughs) cause I'm very, so I'm very good at stating my needs (laughs) And, and, (laughs) and I have a lot of them. And so I get criticized all the time for constantly, like, I'm constantly doing things wrong. Why mm-hmm. you keep bringing stuff. I'm constantly mm-hmm. doing things wrong. This has been a cycle in mm-hmm. all of my relationships. And I've worked so hard to come so gently with the information. Um, but it's usually because I have an anxious attachment style. And mm-hmm. so I'm asking for reassurance for security Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been told one time I was, my partner and I were in an argument and, and he said something and I said, well, I, I'm feeling insecure about this. Like I'm feeling insecure. He's like, you're always insecure. (laughs) You know? And it's like, what do you do with that? Like at that point, it's like, I can't, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do now. Like if, if my if my insecurity is becoming a form of resentment, mm-hmm. I can't do anything mm-hmm. about it. Well, and, and that's actually an interesting, I don't know, Lauren, if you could like help us piece this out because this like, you know, obviously saying you're always insecure is like not a, not a, not a good way to make. Well, and not true at all. There's yeah. a keyword, which was always. Yeah. Mm, that's that right. Criticism. Yeah. Right. But, but also like, but I, I think, I, I've been in a position in relationships where like, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like I can't win. Mm-hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like if that was the response and not like you're always insecure, it's like I'm I'm trying to be a good partner to you, but I feel like no matter what I do, like I like I can't win. Like it's not enough, and and then that makes me feel. Time. Yeah, you know, I'm just starting and, and I'm by no means like a specialist in this yet because, you know, most of my training has been in the Gottman method, but I'm starting to learn more emotion focused couple therapy, which is uh, by Dr. Sue Johnson and it's attachment based. And so you're describing like when I'm more anxious that I'm turning to you for engagement, connection, attunement or reassurance. And you're turning away from me, essentially, or you're turning against me. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to provide that. Or I think that you're asking for too much. You know, I think there's responsibility because relationships are uh, dynamic between partners. And so there are some things that we can do when we're on either side of that dynamic. You know, for, for the partner, what you were needing is someone to turn toward and say, what can I do to reassure you? How can I show up for you? How can I be there for you? How can I show you that I'm hearing you and listening? Um, and that's hard because sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that we all agree with everything. Like my partner says, I don't show up enough and maybe I don't agree with that. But I can at least say, like, I hear that that's what you're, what you're, where you're coming from. And I want to do what I can to make that so that it's not happening. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want that to be the case. I don't want you feeling like, you know, you're let down or disappointed or anxious. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk more about this. Let's figure out because I don't know that I know exactly how to do that. And I want to mm-hmm. do that for you. I feel mm. so reassured. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, so it's interesting, like to bring in some like masculine feminine dynamics. I was just reading this book by David Data. And one of the things he says is that, you know, when the feminine is asking for something to be attended to in the moment, the masculine often goes to this knee jerk place of like wanting credit for all the things we did over the past three days of like, you know, it's like, well, but, uh, you know, uh, I cooked dinner and, and I did all this, you know, and, and so I think, you know, what could be reassuring to the partner who feels like they can't win is like, I'm not asking you to like, always do this. I'm not saying like, you have to change everything you're doing in the behavior. I'm saying like, right now, I feel like this right now. And like, if you can just take a moment and be with me in that, Right, you know, so th- it's not like some big promise or some huge lifestyle or behavior change. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just this moment, mm-hmm. you know? And I think then that would feel less overwhelming or even maybe less like defensiveness provoking. Mm. I don't know. I think also, you know, another way to describe this so that, you know, the anxious and avoidant styles, um, another way to describe this in, in adult relationships is the pursuer and the withdrawer. Mm. or the um, protester and, and um, distancer. They're, they're sort mm. of different, different sides of the, this, the same thing. Um, but in those ways, you're, you're kind of, you're pursuing your partner and saying, I need you to hear me, to listen, to respond, to, you know, to engage with me. And there are some things that we can do in that respect as well, because sometimes we need to back off some of the pursuit because that can be overwhelming and perpetuate withdrawal. But then, you know, the more withdrawal creates more pursuit. And so it's sort of this, you know, unbroken 
infinity mm-hmm. way to think of it. Like there's not one person that's responsible for starting a chain reaction. It's something that is sort of self-sustained based on the roles that we play. Mm. Um, but one thing that I'm thinking is, you know, we can sort of counter if, if I have some needs that I need to express, if I feel disappointed, if I feel, you know, anxious about something, I want to also make sure I'm catching my partner doing things that are working for me, that are supportive for me. And I want to make mm-hmm. that known too, because it can sometimes feel unbalanced for a partner if what they're hearing is the criticism and the needs, and they're not hearing the appreciation and gratitude. And so Mm. that's something that if you're on more of that anxious or protest or or pursue side, can I also look for when my partner is doing something right or when they're getting it right, when they're really attuned to me and let them know that and reinforce Mm. that so that that's going to give a more balanced perspective. Mm. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like. I want to keep going, but I'm also no. Like, we need to transition. I want to switch gears to talking about. How sex. can we transition? Because I think I, I left okay. people hanging on a ratio on the bank account. Yes, bank account. Yeah. Okay. Let me do that. Let's then. Then we can start talking about some other things. So the ratio that I was talking about with the bank account is basically from the research. They found that. Um, during conflict, what we want to have for a healthy relationship is a five to one uh, ratio of positive to negative mm. exchange between partners. So during conflict, what exactly does that look like? That looks like giving eye contact, nodding along, being open to accepting another person's perspective, saying things like, mm, you know, you might be right, or mm, I'll have to think about that. Um, reaching out a hand, offering a hug, offering an apology. Those are all some ways to make deposits, even during conflict. So as there are some negative exchanges back and forth, we want five positives to make up for every one. Now, that's Mm. the conflict ratio. What a lot of people don't realize is there's a different ratio for day to day. So when you're not in conflict, just going about your lives, that ratio becomes 20 to 1. Mm. We want 20 positive exchanges or interactions for every one negative on a day-to-day basis. And for some people, that sounds like a lot, but I want to break that down to make it feel really manageable. So that could be a kiss goodbye in the morning, you know, have a good day. It could be a text to say, how's your day going? It could be, um, you know, taking interest in conversing about how the day went. It could be you know, engaging in a date night together. It could be, you know, giving a hug. Like it's all these little things. It could be sending like really fire Bernie Sanders memes throughout the day. It could definitely be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's all these really small ways that Mm -hmm. you express Mm -hmm. positive connection. Mm -hmm. So Okay. That that's that's actually really cool, and I appreciate you making it feel more like manageable, right? Yes, um, not grand gestures. And, yeah, and maybe this is a nice segue into our next topic. But I've also heard the I've also heard people say like you should have five fucks to every one fight. Um, <laughs> I've heard someone say that like ratio as well. I don't is know that true? If, I don't know if that's true. I've never heard it. I mean, I would hope it'd be more fucks. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, we'll go. Let's go to the twenty-one ratio for, <laughs> 20 to for one? fucks to fight. Depends on the the dynamic between partners. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a 
a great transition. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> okay, so now how does how does you, the process work when you're working with people as a sex therapist? Yeah. So, you know, sex therapy is um, a little bit different than um, other types of therapy. Now, sometimes we're doing a bit of both. And so it, it could be sort of weaving the two together. Um, but when I'm seeing someone just for sex therapy, and it's pretty um, straightforward, you know, a sexual health issue and not a lot of other variables that are influencing things, um, it tends to be briefer. So those sessions tend to be you know, shorter term in nature, and um, often are pretty directive and um, informational, and uh, often involve homework. Mm. But, you know, sometimes and oftentimes just talking about what's going on sexually may not be enough to actually get you towards your goal. Mm-hmm. So there's often an exercise, a reading, uh, you know, something to try at home to come back and then we discuss it and then move forward from there. What are the most common um, issues that people come and see you for? I mean, and is it mostly individuals or couples together? I'd say I do a bit of both. I, I think that you know, people tend to, for sex therapy, come in more on their own at first um, and then maybe bring their partner in somewhere along the way. Um, but there's certainly times where they come in together at first right off the bat. And either way is fine. It's really sort of what feels most comfortable to you at the time. Um, I'd say the most common complaints that I see or the common issues that people want to work with are um, low sexual desire, which I see a lot. Um, and also a mismatch in desire between partners. So one person wants sex more frequently, one person wants it a little bit less, um, or a lot less, and there's a gap there. And that gap is causing them distress, and maybe mm. causing some conflict or causing disconnection. Um, and so I'd say those are probably the top two things that I tend to treat, mm. maybe top three. Uh, the third would be um, like a performance anxiety. Mm. And, you know, kind of getting stuck in your head and having that influence your ability to get aroused or have an orgasm. Mm. Do you want to go from here? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, can we talk about that third one? Um, (laughs) uh, Well, I mean, I think I want to actually I'm really curious in talking about all of them. But um, like so so when you have people who are saying, like, I love my partner Um, We have an amazing relationship. I don't want to be without them, but I don't feel sexual towards them. Right. Like, cause it, you know, like what, how do you diagnose and treat that? You know, because I've, well, and I'll just leave it there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really common thing. I see it a lot. And there, there are some, um, you know, uh, generalities that, you know, it's usually the female partner with low desire and the male partner with high desire. And that's certainly true a lot. And it's also not true a lot. And so there's a lot of female partners who have higher desire if they're in a heterosexual relationship and their male partner has lower desire. So we can see that go both ways. So I I just want to bust that that there's a myth that that's sort of only in one direction. It can happen in any sort of direction. And it also is something I see among, you know, queer couples as well. So Mm -hmm. um, it, it can it can affect, you know, anyone. And, you know, one of the things that I usually like to start off 
off with is um, going over something uh, called the dual control model, which is just this fancy term and a psychological principle that um, actually uh, Dr. Emily Nagoski breaks down really well in her book, which is one of my top book recommendations called Come As You Are. Oh, yeah, I've been recommended that before. I need to read it. Okay. <laughs> recommended book um, for everyone to read. She breaks it down and just kind of explains it like, imagine your sexuality has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And there's a certain number of things that hit the gas pedal and move you towards sex. And there's a certain number of things that hit the brakes and pull you away. And what we need is to find some sort of balance or at least lift some of the brake pedal so that the gas pedal can move forward. Mm. So what we often think of is just rev on the gas, right? Like let's get candles and music and take a bath and go on holiday or like all these things to sort of hit the gas pedal. And that's all great stuff. However, if you've got two tons of brick hitting that brake Mm. pedal, you're not going to go very far. And Mm -hmm. so we need to be mindful of both pedals. And so often what I do is I start with folks by identifying what some of those variables are, what's hitting your brakes. And Mm -hmm. these days it's, it's a lot of things that are hitting the brakes from, you know, all of the stressors we're experiencing both individually, interpersonally, and then socially and environmentally around us. And of those brake pedal factors, Some of those things are things we don't have control over. Like, you know, we're in a global pandemic and we're stuck at home and that's just the way it is right now. So how do I work around that? So there might be some things that we can remove or lighten its load and other things where we just have to figure out how to work around it. So that's where I often like to start because often when folks are describing having low desire, there's usually a pretty sensitive brake pedal and lots hitting the brakes. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a partner who um, withdrew, withdrew from, withdrew. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Withdrew from me more and more as the relationship progressed, and as the fighting got more and more, um, because I think that he was avoiding intimacy so as to protect himself, mm-hmm. and so then it created more fighting. Because I feel I felt intimacy when we had sex. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've always had a bigger sexual drive than any of my partners anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then I have trauma alongside that, too. So, I mean, I guess, how do you what's the approach for the couple where, you know, the one person has a lot of breaks on. The other person is feeling rejected, um, not desired. Like, how do you get past that? I mean, you know, other than what you just told us. (laughs) (laughs) We start there, but that's not the full story, I know. And, you know, this is such a complex issue um, that, you know, that's often what I start telling people. Like, it's complicated. It's not such a quick and easy fix as you might think it would be. Um, I'm actually co-authoring a book all about this when you have either low desire or a mismatch and how do you work through that? And there's a lot of layers to it. Um, you know, I think it, there's there's work on both sides, you know, for the lower desire partner, for the higher desire partner. 
Um, even just like for the partner who's feeling rejected, can the person who is saying, you know, no to sex, can they do that more gently? Can they be thoughtful? Can they offer some options and alternatives? So for example, if I have higher desire and my partner is saying, "Mm, you know, I'm not really feeling it. I'm not in the mood. I don't want to. Maybe they could say something other than just no each time, although you're allowed to say no, of course, that's fine. And we want consent. But maybe sometimes it's, you know, I'm not really feeling sexual, but could we cuddle together? Could we take a bath together? Can I rub your back? Can we sit and talk? Maybe there's something else that you might be up for that would provide some intimacy and some connection Maybe, you know, I'm not really feeling sexual, but maybe we can do something with, um, you know, an alternative to sex. Like I can hold you while you grab your toy or, you know, we can do some, you know, manual sex or oral Mm -hmm. sex. Maybe it's not just one script that we have to follow each time. So, you know, both expanding the definition of sex and often, you know, finding some alternatives and other ways to connect that feel flexible so that it's not just a binary option, like yes to sex, no to sex, and that's it. Yeah. Mm. Is it, is it, I mean, and I know the answer to this question, but (laughs) when someone isn't feeling sexual, does it mean that they're not no longer attracted to their partner? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and I mean, it could that be true for some people? Absolutely. Most of the time, more often than not, that's not the issue. By the time they are coming to see me, it's usually, it's not that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think what's a really helpful concept for folks to learn about, again, kind of going back to the um, Come As You Are book, where she talks about uh, the two different types of desire. Many of us don't realize that there's different types of desire. Um, And I don't want to leave out people who may be more asexual and maybe don't experience desire at all. That might be what's happening too. And that's something that you could, you know, work on and discuss with a therapist or read more about. Um, For those who are sexual uh, or identify as sexual, um, that, you know, sex is not just a spontaneous thing for people. And that's the model that we often use, this spontaneous desire for sex, like, you know, a lightning bolt hits you, you're up for it and ready to go. Um, that may be true for some people, but it's certainly not true for all people. And, and based on research with cisgender women, it's 70% plus of cisgender women don't experience spontaneous desire. Or if they do, it's very early in the relationship when they're still in the honeymoon phase. And then it sort of morphs or shifts into something else. And what it shifts into is something called responsive desire, which means that that often arousal has to come first before desire and interest. So for example, I hear lots about this new Netflix show, Bridgerton, that I am just getting into. Um, But that's an example of, you know, watching this show, sex wasn't on my mind. I wasn't really thinking about it. I wasn't into it. And then all of a sudden, a sex scene comes on and it's hot and I like it. And now my body's getting turned on. And as my body's getting turned on, I may now feel more desire for sex and more motivated to seek it out. That's responsive desire. Mm. So I may not have started off the show feeling, you know, aroused or desirous, but I got there because there was a context for me to respond to. Mm. 
So I, I would love to talk about, because I, I feel like I a lot experience a combination of that like withdrawal or, or that like losing sexual desire. And for me, it's it's tied up in the relationship dynamics and it's tied up in performance anxiety stuff. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, cause I think f- like what I relate to when I see other relationships where one partner is really like avoiding intimacy and stuff like that is for me, I'm such a pleaser. Um, and I do all of this work that I don't actually need to do Um, and so then over time, as the relationship feels more like work and I get exhausted and then I get resentful and then like the first thing that goes away is my desire. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is exacerbated by performance anxiety, which is a common thing for a lot of men. Um, because it's like when, when I'm already in that place of like giving and not feeling like I'm receiving, then sex feels like another place where I have to perform, where I Mm -hmm. have to sort of do, it doesn't feel like it's for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I've even evolved a lot of coping mechanisms where it's easier for me to like avoid my own pleasure and please my partner. Um, and when I do that, I get into like thinking because I'm really like sort of reading them and whatever. And I get disconnected from my own body. Exactly. And it's hard for me to like reconnect. So I, I don't know if you can like speak to kind of like, because you talked about kind of performance issues and the phrase you used was like getting all in your head. And that mm-hmm. resonated so strongly for me. Mm-hmm. So like what, how do you work with that with your clients and people who come to you? You know, it's something that I see a lot and and you just sort of hit the nail on the head with so many of the components that seem to drive that, right? So when you're when you're overthinking, when you're trying to focus maybe too much on your partner and disconnecting from your own experience in your own body, um, you know, that's where some of those issues can emerge. And um, it's really tricky because it's not the most intuitive process to work your way out of, because if you think about it too much, it's making things worse. But then if you try not to think about it, it actually makes it worse because it's following the law of thought suppression. The try, the more you try not to think about something, the more you think about it, not less. And so it really leaves people feeling stuck because it's like, so then what do you do? Um, you know, one of the first things that I do when I'm treating someone who has um, performance anxiety, and I just, I call it that because that's what people recognize. I also like to remind people that sex is not a performance. It's more of an experience. And mm-hmm. so even just this idea of performing is something that we try to reframe. Um, but what I usually start with is just, you know, explaining sort of what's happening in your body. Like, why is that happening? And if you imagine that internally, you have these two levers. So one lever is your stress response back to the sort of fight, flight, freeze response. And then the other lever is your sexual response. These have uh, an inverse relationship. So the more your body is entering its stress response, the less likely you are to be able to be Um, even starting with desire, but to be aroused and to get into sex. So we want to try to mitigate the stress response so that the arousal can emerge. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, it, it's essentially kind of going back to the cave dwelling day, days and our, you know, there's a bear that shows up like physiologically, that was a good thing to happen. If your body started to sense that there was threat you would want the blood flow to leave the <laughs> move to your extremities, either your hands to fight, your feet to flee. And that was a good thing. That was designed mm-hmm. well, maybe, you know, too well or, or really well for the context of those days. Now, many of us are hopefully not facing those sort of in the moment life-threatening situations. And so it can be really perplexing when you're with this partner and you want to get turned on and you want to have this moment and your body's primed to run or to fight mm-hmm. or to mm-hmm. shut down. It's really confusing, but our nervous system is so old And it's not really caught up in many ways to some of our sort of modern day living. And so it tends to be really binary. There's, you know, just threat or no threat. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And I think I mentioned that earlier. So, um, you know, even having a partner who's there and willing and ready can register as threatening because you're like, well, I want to make this go well. And and I want to make sure that they have a good time and I have a good time and everything moves according to plan and it starts to stress you out. Yeah. And it, like, and if I don't get a boner, or I lose my boner, her feelings are going to be hurt. And then that's right. going to be a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly. And as you can see, as we're talking about that, not the sexiest thoughts, right? Not, <laughs> not yeah. arousing, not appealing, right? It's more of like a, <gasps> overwhelming or something you would want to avoid or withdraw from. So it makes complete sense. So I I think even just understanding that mechanism, how that works can be helpful. Um, The other thing that I do, and this is the, you know, main staple of my work is helping people to become more present in the moment. Because what's happening is with performance anxiety, it's sometimes one, two, or a combination of things. You're either thinking a couple steps ahead to what will or won't happen and what the next moment will bring. Sometimes you're thinking back to previous experiences, like last time this happened and this happened and didn't happen and whatever, or you're bouncing between these two. You're like next moment, last time, and it's just all stressful. So the antidote really to performance anxiety is to be more present and mindful in the moment and to take some of the pressure off by making the experience more flexible. So you know, hey, if we have intercourse, cool. If we don't, we can find other things to do. We're going to just focus on being here in this moment together, doing things that feel good, um, just connecting with each other and and allowing that, you know, sometimes that's going to result in intercourse and sometimes it's not. And that needs to be okay because Mm. treat it as this big groundbreaking disappointment and you know this can't continue it's a big deal it just adds stress Mm. when the response is okay well we had a good time and and that's what I often recommend is you know no matter what happens can you try to end with something that feels pleasurable or connecting because that's Mm. still gonna file away in your memory as you know maybe it didn't work out the way I wanted but we had a good time Mm -hmm. yeah that's so that's so cool and I think um you know, I think a lot of times the responses of our partners like exacerbate this. Yes. And, and I so appreciate you like busting some of these myths of like, you know, sometimes the man is the like lower libido. You know, I have a close friend who said, you know, 
he was talking about like when he and his current partner first got together and he was like, she, you know, we were talking about sex and, and she very eloquently and thoughtfully, you know, said all the stuff of like, look, I'm not always going to have an orgasm. You know, that's not something that happens every time for me. And it doesn't mean that I don't desire you. It doesn't mean that the sex wasn't pleasurable for me. And, you know, sometimes I might want that focus on me to try to get there. And, but other times like, please don't pressure me, all this stuff. And he was like, she laid this out so beautifully. And then I said, yeah, me too. And she was not okay with that at all. You know, like, because, really? yes, I think so many women have this thing that like men are always like, mm. as soon as someone shows up with a vagina, a heterosexual man is like rock hard and ready to go. And that's right. all he needs. Right. And if that doesn't happen, if it doesn't play out in this sort of script that's in so many women's mind, Right. That they they feel very self conscious. Mm -hmm. I've had like so like when you talk about Lauren like sort of stopping and doing other things and like okay maybe we don't need to have intercourse right now. I've had experiences in my life where I've been having intercourse with someone for whatever reason I got in my head about it and I like needed to like sort of and what I like to do is like let's stop and like let me reconnect like kissing helps me and like eye contact and whatever and I went to do that and the woman got angry at. Mm. like she was like she was like what are you doing like and like got like and like sort of went on the attack mm -hmm. and when i was already sort of self like but i get it, it yeah. from her like she was well yeah and feeling me, rejected or whatever yeah so let me step in here from the woman's perspective because <laughs> um i have i definitely have um some ptsd i mean i wouldn't say clinical trauma, but, um, experiences that have made me feel very, um, undesired, um, that have, I, you know, I feel rejected. And then that goes back into my deep seated, uh, feelings of abandonment, you know? And so how can, as a woman, like, like you said, like, just, I really need to work on that is like, try and be in the moment and orgasm doesn't have to happen. Um, and more like ebb and flow. I just really like having a penis inside of me. It feels so good. I'm turned on when his dick is hard and you know, it's like, it is when that doesn't happen. It, it's almost like, like I struggle because I, I was not pleased for so long that I'm a pleaser, like, mm. right. So, so my uh, identity in sex is being able to give really good blowjobs, um, to be there for him. And so if I'm there for him and he doesn't want it, then I've lost my identity. Oh, um, interesting. So mm -hmm. I guess like what, and so obviously I'm aware of those things. I need to work on them. I need mm -hmm. to be okay with a man pleasing me. And actually my last partner was really great about that. He was, you know, very like, let's get out your toy. Let's make sure you come first. Like really, really probably the most sexual compatible partner I've ever had. And he was really good about that. And he didn't always come mm -hmm. or, or want to have sex. And that was hard. So yeah. even though he's, he's there for me, he's mm -hmm. saying, I'm attracted to you. I love you. Let's cuddle. And I'm like, but I want your dick to be hard. <laughs> I mean, like, what are we supposed to like, how else can we kind of soothe ourselves in that moment? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, because what he's needing in that moment is more of that, like, flexible sort of reassurance that, you know, not a big deal. We can, you know, do something else. Let's be here together. And in that moment, you know, what I would say if someone was in your shoes is if you can, if this feels safe and comfortable to you to make maybe take a couple of deep breaths and sort of let your system calm a little bit and sort of recenter and regroup for yourself, because it's perfectly fine that you feel disappointment. And it's perfectly fine that that can feel jarring. But we also want to make sure that we're creating a safe space for the partner then to be able to experience whatever their body's doing, and not have them feel shame for that, or, you know, criticize them for that. You know, sexual function often follows um, a bell curve, a statistical bell curve. So the bulk of experience will hopefully be in the pretty good range. So more more experiences, hopefully, than not, where sex is good. It's fine. It's nice. It's, you know, it was great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 2.5% on one tail, something around mm-hmm. that is going to be not so great. You know, I wanted to be able to come and I couldn't, I wanted to be able to get aroused and I couldn't, I had no desire. I had, you know, something hurt. I felt bloated, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Real life sex. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other tail, the other 2.5% on the other side is going to be amazing sex. That was great. That was, you know, phenomenal. It was, you know, noteworthy. And and so there's going to be this range and there is no 100% of the time mind-blowing sex. And in fact, even knowing that that sort of is more of a tail end, that that sort of spectacular, you know, knock your socks off kind of sex is maybe more of the exception than the norm. The norm is going to be, we had a good time, you know, it was nice. And, and I try to help people, you know, a diversify and expand their view around sex. So what I would do with Juliana is like work on, you know, what does sex mean to you? Like you said, that's when you feel close. It's maybe when you feel desired, it's when you feel reassured or connected and maybe, you know, tapping into and tuning into like, are there some other times where you also feel that? Mm. And if you don't know the answer to that, that may be what we explore. Mm. What is it like for you to just make really deep eye contact with your partner? What is it like for you to just hold their hand and look at them and have them, you know, rub your arm or so like, do some of those things provide some sense of, you know, connection and intimacy for you? Because Mm. the top two reasons that people have sex tend to be for some variation of for pleasure and for connection. And so if that's your why, that's the reason why. So you're describing like, it feels really good. It's for pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's great. And so sometimes it's going to be just what you want it to be. And then other times when that's maybe not on the menu, what are some other things that we could do that would bring you maybe similar uh, pleasure or some sense of pleasure for when that's not as available? Mm -hmm. I love that. Going into it, starting to think like, you know, even if this is what we're planning, I need to have sort of a flexible attitude about it because even if both of us really want it, sometimes our bodies and our brains are on two different pages mm-hmm. and that needs to be um, allowed to happen. And so mm-hmm. sometimes even just setting a different expectation with sex that like, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we're going to try, but you know, if that doesn't work out, we have plan B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I resonated with what you shared about like how that feels to you about your identity as like a giver and a pleaser. Cause I think those of us that have, you know, like these deep seated beliefs that like we have to do for others to be deserving of love and affection. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That when, and, and I'm the same way, I think mm -hmm. like my partners typically like, over the course of a relationship, like definitely have more orgasms than I do. Mm -hmm. And some of that is because I think from a performance anxiety standpoint, like that helps take a little pressure off of me. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm like, Oh, like she just had two orgasms now, like I'm not so worried. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't come through, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. that, that this, that she's going to be disappointed and upset and frustrated mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and I think I would feel similar to you where if I had a partner that, um, I had a harder time bringing to orgasm or like didn't want that less, that would stir up a lot of anxiety in me. That would start more of my anxiety because like sometimes, you know, because it is pleasurable to me to please my partner and it is, it does feel like that nice intimacy and connection. But I think some of it is like, I'm trying to get validation, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. I think that's the side I need to work yeah. on a little mm -hmm. bit, you know? And to be able to, you know, recognize that for yourself and find maybe ways to communicate that with a partner and saying, you know, it, it helps me to hear that you're enjoying yourself or it helps me to hear that, you know, we can be flexible sometimes that, it, you know, that it's not going to be this big, you know, let down um, because I totally get it. I mean, the feelings are there. You're disappointed or what you wanted to happen didn't happen. And how can we sort of, you know, share that with a partner in in a more sort of flexible and open way? So it's like, you know, yeah, it would have been nice if we could have had, you know, intercourse. But I'm also just really enjoying being here with you. Hmm. Mm. I know we have taken up so much of your time. <laughs> Do you have time for two more questions? Sure. Okay. I wanted to speak on the LGBTQ community for a second, because you share that that is some of your work is with LGB and trans clients. How is that work different? Um, what are some specifics that you work on them with? I mean, I think a lot of the sex therapy tends to be the same and, and a lot of the relationship therapy seems to be the same. So I think, you know, for queer partners for polyamorous partners or, you know, non-monogamous partners, um, uh, you know, sex therapy and relationship therapy often looks the same. I, I will often, you know, share that there's not been enough research on, you know, queer couples on, you know, uh, people who are non-binary or trans in terms of their sexualities and partnerships that we're certainly lacking in that research. And, you know, some of the brief, um, studies that the Gottmans have done with uh, gay and lesbian couples has shown that their method is effective with queer couples as well. So mm. um, I'd say a large part of the work is the same. My work with the transgender and non-binary community tends to be um, different in that it's just much more of a supportive role in helping people to explore their identity, to explore what they need surrounding their identity, to point them towards resources, to help them access those resources. Um, so I have provided um, gender care in terms of supporting folks through their transition, both
both socially and medically. Um, and I've been doing that for several years. And, and that's, it's a different type of work. It's just really, you know, helping people get some of the, um, the information that they need and, and the support they need along that journey. Mm, love that. Well, I didn't, we didn't get to the trauma. I was going to ask you a question about sexual trauma and overcoming that, but I think that might be like just a whole nother. uh, Yeah. We'll have to have you back. Yeah. So I have one, one fun question. Okay. So I read somewhere that the average female orgasm is like 40 something seconds or something like that. And I'm like, I'm over here thinking like, okay, when I orgasm, it's like, it's like a few seconds of just that intense pleasure but I'm not anywhere near like 40 seconds. So what is that? Like, is that a myth? Is that true? Like what is the length of an orgasm? This is such a good question. And it's one that I feel like I should have a good answer to. (laughs) (laughs) This may be one of those things where like, Hmm, I have to maybe go back to my books. You know, I think, um, I would be curious about that because it may be that the actual peak of the orgasm is just a few seconds, but maybe some of the pulsating or the engorgement or the blood flow like that could maybe persist mm. a little bit longer because you may feel sometimes after orgasm that there's still like a pulsing in your genitals and so mm. that's what it's referring to okay it could also be maybe that's like it can be up to this long maybe that's sort of a, a you know the higher end of the spectrum um or maybe it's not that's a great question that i will have to- <laughs> I mean, or maybe Leanna, you just got to get those times up. You got to get. I'll work on it. Training for a marathon, right? Exactly. Uh, just a very quick follow up to that. What, why do some women squirt and some don't? Oh, that's a good question. Great question, and the answer is we don't know. Hmm. We don't know. Is it like is squirting? Because I feel like squirting is like a prize for women. It's like I squirted, or he made me squirt, and like from porn. Okay. I think this whole idea of squirting, and and by the way, they will often sort of inject water is what I'm told into Mm -hmm. uh, female performers so that there is that sort of sense of squirting. Um, And my understanding is we don't have a lot of understanding about it. We're still learning about it. Um, Women's sexual health is is wildly underfunded for research, Mm. um, probably no surprise to many people. Um, and so we don't know, there's a difference, you know, there's squirting and then there's female ejaculate and they seem to produce different fluids. There's still debate about, you know, what that fluid is comprised of. It's just a watered down, um, fluid that's coming from the urethra. Uh, is it a combination of fluids? There's still a lot that we're learning. Mm. But it doesn't seem to be something that you can just make yourself do. It's not like a, a level up kind of thing that you can create. <laughs> it seems to just be like, you know, some bodies seem to do that and some don't. And yeah, it's just a different body function than others, you know? Yeah. Mm. <sighs> this has been amazing. You're amazing. Oh, we love you. you. This thanks conversation flew by. This was great. Please uh, tell my listeners where they can find you. Sure. I would say that I'm probably most active on Instagram and my handle is at Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy and Mercy is with an S, not a C. And I also have the same handle on Facebook. Um, and currently the clinic that I am practicing at is called the Sexual Wellness Institute. And that's located in a suburb of Minneapolis. Aww. 
Beautiful. Oh, oh, we like to, we have a new thing where. Uh, <laughs> that we keep forgetting about. <laughs> Before you go, because uh, yeah. we promise we will actually let you go at some point. Uh, what are you, what are you grateful for? Oh, right now I'm so grateful to be working and to be able to do mm. my job from home. I just feel very blessed that I was able to transition pretty quickly to working mm. from home and, and to be able to be employed right now is really just such mm. a blessing. Oh, I love that. All right. Well, Lauren, thank you for being on. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you again, Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy. Dr. Lauren, amazing. Amazing. Like, yeah. So uh, guys, go follow her on Instagram at Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy. And um, Mercy with an S. Mercy with an S. And yeah, go again, like, like we always say, go DM her, go tag her in your stories and tell her how much you loved her on Hello and Goodbye. Yes. Show her that hello and goodbye love. Yeah. And then we're going to say what we're grateful for. Oh, yeah, because she did. And that was so sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm When did you go first? I'll go first. So I am grateful for a person this week. Ooh. I'm grateful for uh, Van Lathan, who is a... Um, who is uh, the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts called Higher Learning. And he, um, what I'm grateful for is he speaks really openly about his struggles with mental health mm. on their podcast. And there was even an episode right before Christmas where he shared how he, he's like, he sees like multiple therapists because I think COVID and all these things. He's, and as a black man in the world, like with everything that's going on, um, and he shared in an episode before Christmas, like, how his therapist was like, hey, do you have a gun in the house? Like, and he was like, yes. And she was like, I need you to give that to somebody else. Um, and he did. And he mm. talked about, like, that being, like, a positive mm. thing, right? And so I think um, any person, but especially a man, and maybe even especially, like, a man of color to be that open and mm. real and vulnerable is such a good thing mm. for the world. And it... And when I listen to it, it helps me and it makes me feel more hopeful for the world and all the people out there that are struggling. So I am grateful for Van Lathan. What's the podcast? The podcast is called Higher Learning. Higher Learning. Okay. Yes. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. I am going to uh, go in on person as well. I'm thankful we have a fucking new president. Yes. Yes. We forgot to talk about that in the intro, but I mean, I just like... I just feel a sense of like just a huge relief yes. that we um, finally have people in the White House who are like on the side of love, <laughs> like, yes. you know, and um, hopefully we're going to get some more stimulus checks out to people mm -hmm. and that we're going to get the vaccinations out faster and just, you know, so many things that need to happen for this country. And there's like hope now that that can happen. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, like we said, go check out our website, www.helloandgoodbyepodcast.com. Find us on Instagram at helloandgoodbyepodcast at underscore Leanna Joan at the real Jared Rodriguez. We're on Twitter at hello underscore by underscore pod. And um, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.